Hi everyone, thank you for joining me. My name is Victor Sarkisian, and you will also meet my co-host, Mr. Josh Duval, Josh D, JD Duval, Joshua Duval. Anyway, um, we are the host of the Startup REI podcast. Again, thank you for joining us. This podcast is about educating startup real estate investors, and we do that by interviewing not only investors in this, uh, not only investors, but also uh, people in this industry, uh, professionals such as you know CPAs, real estate agents, um, contractors, the list goes on and on. Now, uh, in this first episode, we are going to be interviewing a friend. Uh, he is a investor and a real estate agent, Mr. Rick Albert. Um, and he's going to be talking about how he got to three doors. And this episode actually is going to be uh, delving into uh, accessory dwelling units. So it's pretty exciting. It's a launch. Um, every episode is going to have its own little introduction. This one's special, of course, because this is the very first. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to apologize about the quality of the first episode and I think the second episode. It was testing microphones before I, you know, terrible camera, terrible situation as far as the whole setup goes. So the first episode, I am really, really difficult to understand. Again, please stick it through. I would greatly appreciate it. Um, you can find us on all of the social media platforms, Facebook. Um, these episodes are going to be going on YouTube and you're of course going to be hearing them on podcasts. So all of the, you know, podcast platforms that are out there, pick pick and choose your favorite one. It should be on there. Uh, and all feedback is greatly appreciated. You can reach to me. You can reach out to me at Victor at startup Um, and yeah, you know, thank you so much again for joining and hope to see you on the next one. Take care. Welcome to the first official episode of Start of the Startup RA podcast. Uh, my name is Victor and my co-host is... Hi, I'm Josh. Uh, so you guys are here for kind of an unprecedented thing for our meetup group. Uh, normally we meet in person, but with all of our uh, this uh, self-quarantine that we've had to go through, we decided to do our meeting virtual this time around, as well as do it as one of our podcast episodes. So you guys are here for kind of the inception of our meeting and our podcast. So uh, you guys are kind of in on the ground floor. So we're super happy that you guys are here. We're, we're uh, very excited and uh, let me just add more people that are joining. Uh, so for the new people, welcome, welcome, welcome. We uh, love that you're here. Um, yeah, uh, so we have with us today, Rick Albert. Uh, Rick, say hi to everybody. Oh, Rick was- Hello, hello. <laughs> Sorry, I put it on mute for a second. No worries. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and I know I have some friends and family on here, so I appreciate the support. Cool. Everybody. Thank you. Welcome, friends and family. Uh, I'm, I recognize a whole bunch of names, so we are super happy that you guys are here. Uh, so today, basically, what we're going to do is we're interviewing Rick. Uh, Rick's got a lot of experience as an agent as well as an investor, so he kind of has a lot of that knowledge from both sides of that that coin of real estate, where you know you the person selling the house or you know putting it on the market, as well as the person buying it or doing the investing. Um, so we're not going to dive too much into his story. I don't want to give too much away, but he has done some successful house hacks, uh, a few little stumbles along the way, but that's all stuff that we're going to go over. Um, 
Well, other than that, you know, uh, welcome again, everybody, and uh, let's go ahead. We don't have an official intro, so uh, we'll <laughs> do the we'll do it here. We'll go dun, 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 start up REI podcast episode one. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't have done it better, so I appreciate it. <laughs> uh, uh, before starting the, this podcast, uh, before reaching out, well, after reaching out to Rick, we did send him a questionnaire. So we will be asking him uh, 10 questions. Uh, and he has reviewed it, but we have no idea what the answers are going to be. So this is going to be pretty raw. It's, uh, it's super cool. So, uh, Rick, why don't you... Uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll, I'll ask you, which will probably just then relate into question number one. Sure. Uh, so uh, I'm going into my 10-year anniversary of being in real estate. Uh, it's kind of exciting. I started in 2010. I worked with a commercial real estate office as an intern in college. Then I moved down to Southern California, where I worked with a developer buying foreclosures. Then I got the opportunity to help on the project management side as well as the cash for keys. So when you buy foreclosures off the courthouse steps, sometimes there's still people living in there. So you have to work with getting them out. And then we started doing different projects, you know, here and there. And now I focus more on the sales side, representing clients, buyers, sellers, investors. And I still work with that same development fund as well. Cool. Uh, I will go straight into first question how did you get started uh and yeah let's because it's a two-parter so let's go how did you get started so uh my best friend now brother-in-law uh in college uh, we met he moved he lived down here in southern california and i came down to visit and i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do so he said hey why don't you meet with my dad he's very successful in business especially in real estate so i met with him talked about what he's done, mortgage background, all that. And I got really interested in it because there's so many, I'm one of those people where I can be very analytical, but I can also be very creative and it allows me to do both. And that's what really got me into real estate. And so when I moved down here, they needed someone to go to the courthouse steps. This was in 2010 to bid on properties. So imagine being 22 years old, here's like $500,000 in cashier's checks, go bid on property. Prior experience of this. Correct. I had no experience <laughs> being at an auction. Uh, super fun, super nerve wracking because it's not your money, but you have a headset on. They tell you how much to bid, all that kind of stuff, and kind of rolled into it. You have a headset on. Yeah. Okay. So, so basically, how it works is there's two different courthouses for LA. You have the one in Pomona, one in Norwalk. So we would go to the one in Norwalk. I'd have a headset on where there's a whole team at our office. So they're reviewing the properties that are going to auction. They're reviewing pricing. Um, at the time, before we really established our real estate side, they, um, we worked with other realtors and they would do the drive-bys because you can't walk the property ahead of time. So they say, all right, the property from the outside looks decent, not decent, all that. And then they would tell me on the headset what my max was to bid. So I could raise the increments during the auction, however I wanted. Um, I just couldn't exceed their max. Correct. Well, it became a game because what yeah. people, people would do all sorts of stuff at the courthouse steps. Some people would bid on properties they don't want just to get other people knocked out. Right. Oh, so if I spent it all, yeah. Correct. So if I spent all my money on one property, I wouldn't be able to buy the property that they really wanted. 
actually one oh. of our guests that are uh, one of our participants here today. We're going to be interviewing probably in the next episode, most likely in the next episode. It has a pretty cool story about that. And I think yeah. Josh knows about it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it says that uh, leading into, um, you said you worked with a developer. Correct. Or you currently still work with that same developer, mm -hmm. I'm not sure. That yeah. does or does rehabs and leading Correct. into kind of what you do. Yeah, so on the development side, they will either just flip a traditional house, be fix it up, maybe do the accessory dwelling unit, which is a rentable and permitted guest house, um, or just, just a regular remodel, uh, or new construction homes. And the latest project that they have going on is called the Small Lot Ordinance. So you've probably been seeing them pop out all over LA, where it'll be like, we'll call it five houses or 10 houses on single lot. They're almost like townhouses, but they're classified as single family. So we have one coming up in Mid-City where it'll be five homes. Okay. Yeah. So, so you still, awesome. Um, of course, that's your real estate background and that's what you do. Right. But of course, you are an investor yourself and we'll get into that. Yes. But I want to ask something that I, I'm curious to get. And we're going to be asking this to a bunch of our guests. <laughs> what's the, what do you think is the mindset of someone or what's the difference between someone who is a first-time home buyer? versus an investor? You know, as you mentioned before, you sent out a list of questions. That one I had to think about <laughs> for a while sure. be because it was, it was hard to describe. But the best way I could come up with is in residential real estate, at least, there's a spectrum. You're part logic, part emotion. Mm -hmm. And where you are on the spectrum determines if you're, let's say, a first-time home buyer, which is most likely going to be more emotional versus an investor that's going to be more logical. Right. Just looking at the numbers. Can I get the rents for it? Or if I remodel it, am I going to get the money out of it? You know, that, so I, even when I remodeled my condo and our house, we had to take a look and say, what is going to maximize our future rents or our current rents? Trying to put all emotion aside, trying to put maybe not all of it aside, but you know, right. when the decision comes between logic and emotion, you want to make sure that you're logical the logical decision moves forward instead. Correct. Yeah, that could be very difficult. I'm sure it, that's it, very it, difficult for, for first time. For sure. I mean, especially when... And investors. So you, you have HDTV, right? It's like the third most watched channel. And yeah. everybody watches it. And they see these great remodels. Like, well, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they forget that it's being done in Alabama, <laughs> where labor's cheaper, materials might be cheaper than it is in LA. So then when they say, oh, I want to do all these things, that's when you have to start toning it back. You know, I love the reclaim wood look, but that can be expensive. Yeah. Oh yeah, and that's the things people don't pay, you know, they, they don't know. And that's hopefully something that we're going to start to, to help people understand as we grow our, our community is that the TV show, you know, your, your super flips is not what you're actually going to experience in real life. Like in real life, right. you're going to hit a lot of pitfalls. You're going to run into a lot of times where you're going to be like, do I really want to keep doing this? As opposed to the TV show where they're like, yeah, you know what? We can flip this entire house for 30 grand. Turns out, oh no, it's going to be 60 grand. Can we meet the budget? We met the budget. We brought it down to 50 grand. Yeah. As long as it's that. open concept. As long as exactly. it's open concept. Yeah. Yeah. We actually took it down to the studs and rebuilt the entire house, but we got it all done over the weekend. Like, you know, come on. Like, you had a team of 300 people, and then you right. moved the bus. Like, I've seen this show. I know how it works. It's not like that in real life. So we're trying to hopefully 
help people like yes it's possible but it's not hollywood possible you know like yes it's definitely something that you know it's a business that people love and it's something that's it's really you know really tantalizing to get into but you got to be careful because there is money involved and there is a lot of stuff you know a lot of moving parts so we want to make sure that we can help people understand what those moving parts are Sorry, Absolutely. Didn't mean to jump in on there. I just have a well, no. strong opinion and, about that. And really the easiest way to figure it out is let's say you are flipping a house or you are buying a house to rent it out. Just take a look at the comps. Take a look at the other sales in the area with other rentals are doing. And it's almost kind of like a rip off and duplicate. So you might like the reclaimed wood, but if none of the other competition's doing it and they're all getting the prices you want, then don't spend the money and time to do it. Right. You know, maybe like what I did on my condo is I did an accent wall with a different color paint. So it kind of gave some life to it, but it cost me 30 bucks. Yeah. And a few hours, but much better than whatever. But you have to paint that wall anyways. Right. So it's, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm understanding the the complexity of it all trying to remodel my own condo right. which is supposed to be much easier but it's been like six months and I yeah, see, <laughs> one bedroom done <laughs> victor's living it in person right now right. like when i was over at his place recently half of his kitchen looks incredible the other half <laughs> there's no doors on the cabinets and, and it's know, not like half down the center it's like half up here <laughs> half down yeah. there it's it's a rough parts. estimate you know yeah so but it's it's coming along it's looking good you know it's it's been a few months and it's been a little slower than I'm sure he expects it to be, but it's getting done, you know, and that's how people, you know, people do this as a hobby and it is possible as a hobby, you know, to, to do this kind of stuff. Look, if it makes you feel any better, my house was supposed to be done in four months and it took a year. I think we're going to get to that, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we are. <laughs> so, so, so let's start. Let's, uh, how you began, tell us about that first property that you bought. Tell us about that condo that you bought in Tarzana, please. Yeah, and so, go ahead. Also, tell me why you decided it was the best time to buy it. Um, like, I'm sure you searched for however long it took, months, weeks, a couple of days, depending on who you are. And, well, and like, why did you pull the trigger? Sure. So, um, I'd always been like researching, right? So, I, if I set a goal of like, this is what I want, I start setting the parameters. I set up the auto alerts, right, with the MLS. So I start seeing what's coming out to help me gauge expectations. Uh, in terms of what got me to pull the trigger, my roommate was getting married, and I knew I need I needed to move. So I was like, that's reason. Good, right? Uh, and that, like putting a little fire under yourself, you <laughs> right? Know? I'm not gonna be that guy. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, and at also at the time, I had saved up enough money. To, to do a down payment. I only did 10%. I didn't do the 20%. Uh, I purposely wanted to be, I looked for desirable areas and I wanted to live just outside of it. And the reason for that is as desirable areas get overpriced, like in other words, out of people's budgets, they have to go somewhere and that's where my place would come in. Yeah. So for, go ahead. No, go on, I'm sorry. Uh, so for Tarzana, I bought my condo just north of the 101 freeway. For some pe- reason, people think that's Reseda. Yeah, yeah. Which Reseda is a fine neighborhood, don't get me wrong, but price-wise, it's less than Tarzana, but it's not. It's still Tarzana. 
So you're, what? That's like two blocks south of Reseed or something like that, right? Like you still have you're close, but you're not. I'm, I'm a mile from Ventura Boulevard, where all the shops and restaurants are. Yeah, which is great because you know um, I'm sorry to interject, but I no used to live right off of Ventura as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we weren't on Ventura and, or the street right there, but the street after that. And I thought that was perfect because if we lived right off of Ventura or one street down, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, you get no parking. Granted, we had no parking anyways, just because living in Sherman Oaks, that's like the thing there. But mm-hmm. there was literally no parking, you know, most of the week. And then the weekends was just really bad everywhere. So, you know, living directly off of Ventura sounds appealing until you're actually living off of Ventura. And then it's like the worst thing ever because you can, yeah, you can walk everywhere, but that's because you have to walk everywhere because if you drive, you lose your spot or you're stuck in traffic. So, you know, your spot is just North of the freeway is perfect because you're a mile and you know, everyone needs a little exercise and we're in California. You can walk, you know, like yeah, better weather. yeah, exactly. So, you know, yeah, but anyway, sorry, didn't mean to interject, but just no to, to, I adding to your point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so that's how I kind of looked at it. So when the 2008 market crashed and prices fell, what a lot of people didn't realize is condos actually continued to fall in price. That's because not only were people defaulting on their mortgages, but they might be defaulting on their HOA dues or, or whatever. So values continued to go down until we'll call it, let's say 2012-ish. So when I bought in 2015, it was as the market was picking up for condos. So I also knew that it was a good time in that respect. So I bought the condo, I got it, it was listed for two, what was it listed for? 243, I believe. And I got it for 225. Yeah. 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 Tell, tell us how you did that negotiation. Yeah. Like, so, just t- tell us just in general, like how, just how did it all play out? You saw that you found the condo, it came in through your email or, or however you saw it. Okay. So yeah. it came in through your email. You reached out to the agent because I guess you're, you're an agent yourself. So that's probably mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, take it from there. Yeah, so um, I actually got my broker involved to represent me. That way we had that separation, plus we could talk it out. Uh, it was a major fixer. She had been living there for over 30 years. She lived there before they were actually officially condos, and she was a heavy smoker. Oh. So you could only stay there for maybe 10, 15 minutes before your eyes can start to water. Uh, it, it, was, it was bad. But, Perfect opportunity. And that's exactly what it was. Everyone was offering 200 because they looked at that and said, how do I get rid of it? I knew you can paint over it. There's special primer for that. You can scrub the walls. Like there's things you can do. So it had already been on the market for a little over a month. It was like 45 days, which at that price point, that shouldn't be the case. Condos at that price point should be flying off the market. So they already probably had a sense that it was overpriced. So when we went in, we went in at 225, I looked and said, this is fair market value. They actually did try to counter us. And at the time I was a first time home buyer. I represented clients, but it is different when you're the one buying. And so I was like, they only came back at $2,500 more. I'm like, okay, that's 250 bucks down payment. That's less than like a couple dollars a month. And my broker who's been in the business for 40 years, he said, don't do it. And I was like, <laughs> no, I want it. Yeah, I was like, why? He's like, she's doing it because she needs the money. But her financial situation shouldn't be passed on to you. And I said, fair enough. I'll stay put. And sure enough, they took the offer. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. And so, it looks like the amount of money that you saved was 
almost identical to the amount of money that you put into the rehab. So it all worked out. Right, exactly. Yeah, so it, it really it did work out. It cost about um, 18000 to rehab it. I could have spent less, but I knew I was going to be living there for a while, so I wanted to make it a little bit nicer. Yes, um, just to spin off something you said. Uh, so you said, you know, you've helped people buy, but you mm -hmm. this was the first one you bought for yourself. Correct. Uh, did you feel like there was a bit, like, and I'm sure that there was, but like, and then how did you kind of mitigate it was the emotional attachment to buying a property. Did you have the mindset of, I want this to be an investment for me eventually? Or was it kind of, I'm going to live here and then turn into an investment after you moved in? Like how, how where's, where's kind of like your brain at that, that moment? So my brain was, this was going to be a future rental. Okay. So you, you went in with the idea of you're not going to stay there, that you're going to eventually start turning into a cash flowing uh, machine. Correct. Okay. The intention okay. is to keep it as a rental. So that helped. What hit me at first was it was 2,500 bucks. Like in the big scheme yeah, of things, yeah. it just wasn't a lot of money. Yeah. And he's like, no, no, don't do it. I was like, okay. He, you know, he's one of the people you tell, he has such a vast knowledge. If he tells me to jump, I just say how high. And he saved me a lot of money over the years. Hey, you know what? That's great. Exactly. Can, uh, can I, can you send me his number so I can put it in the show notes? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I still work with him. <laughs> oh, you're better. Um, all right. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. Let's go to your second house. This is kind of where things got serious for you. Yes. Uh, this was, so. Yeah, this one looks like it was a pretty big deal. Um, I'm sure your experience came into play here. Mm -hmm. uh, it says the second deal you went into escrow for 567. Correct. And then tell everybody what you got it for. I ended up getting it for 520000 that's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> what forty-seven thousand cheaper than yeah was going for, and I know you played some tricks with that too. So I'm sure we're, we're going to talk about that. Oh yeah. Well, for starters, we were one of seventeen cool. offers. Yeah. So after we got it accepted, and we had to get creative there on how to get that offer accepted, try to beat everyone else out. Uh, we got into escrow. It was a fixer. Uh, my wife and I were doing what's called an FHA two hundred three K loan. So that is a loan for the purchase price plus the construction. And you only had to put three and a half percent down. And that's three and a half percent down of the purchase price plus construction. So twenty some thousand dollars. Wow. So that includes the construction in the in the okay. Correct. Not just the purchase. Correct. You know we can go into really deep detail about the two agree two or three K loan because I know it's not a very, very conventional loan at all, but obviously mm -hmm. we'll save that for later on. Maybe there's questions that'll come up for that. But um, anyways, continue. Yeah. So when we entered escrow, we entered at 567. To put it in perspective, it was originally listed at 499. So the sellers, yeah, right? So the sellers probably over the moon on the price. Sure. We did inspections. So when you do inspections, you do have an opportunity to renegotiate the price. So in this case, the sewer line was shot, the chimney was shot, some electrical, some plumbing, just a little bit you know, things here and there. So that's when we went in with the first, I'll call it the first bite of, of the purchase price. We said, hey, we need $27,000. And here's all the reasons why. So we talked it out. Actually, I think we asked for a little bit more. And then we met at 27000 for those repairs. That was this one. It was uh, at 567 Correct. 
and so if you're yeah because if you're the seller so the seller has an obligation to disclose anything they know that's like any material facts well they didn't have any material facts initially because they didn't do any inspections now they do now they have all these inspection reports that if they cancel on us they have to pass on to the next buyer okay so, so if you're in the seller's position um, actually, if you don't mind, let me backtrack a little bit because I think this is really important. The seller was selling because his wife had died three years prior. Oh. Once we entered escrow, two days into it, a lady calls a listing agent saying, why are you selling my house? She was actually <laughs> not dead. Uh, yeah, let's, let's back up. I go over that a little bit more. That's, that's um... Probably have a whole podcast about that. <laughs> Probably. Oh, I can do a whole podcast of just stories. Uh, <laughs> so the reason, why, <laughs> the reason why I feel like that's important is because if you're in the seller's shoes, he probably doesn't want to deal with reviewing all those offers with his wife that's not dead, that thought she was dead. So we probably had that to our advantage as well, right? He doesn't want to start the whole process over. He'd rather just keep moving along. And just close it. That is some opportunity. <laughs> oh, when I got when we got the call, I, I called my she was my fiance at the time. I'm cracking up. I'm like this is hilarious. <laughs> like you'll never believe it. Like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, why are you laughing? I don't find this funny. I'm like, I think this is hilarious because it's better than the alternative. Yeah. <laughs> right. Makes sense. Yeah. So. We got, so now fast forwarding to the first price reduction. Sorry, I know a little out of order, but I thought that was important. No, by all means, <laughs> that was great. We, uh, then we go for the second bite. The second bite was there was a, an addition done without permits. I had a hunch that it could be done, that we were gonna have to tear it down, but it's, I don't know for sure, right? I, I'm not a contractor. So what we did was I had my contractor go through there guy trust we realized that it wasn't you couldn't permit it the beams weren't right anything like that that was the second bite however we had already said hey i want a price reduction for all this work and we've already released that contingency when you buy a house you have what are called like subject to's i'm buying the house subject to it inspecting well in this case i was pulling the card of the lenders requiring me to tear it down and rebuild it. Because remember, it's an FHA 203K loan. It's a construction loan. Yeah. yeah. So when they came back and said, well, that doesn't count because you already did your due diligence. It's like, no, this is the lender. The lender is requiring me to do this. And we just don't have the money to do it out of our own pocket. I need the price reduction. Yep. And we settled for another $20,000. <laughs> So There's that's how deals we, out there. You just <laughs> got to learn how to do it. Exactly. I mean, these are strategies that just come with experience and every case is right. different. Cause again, he's now having to deal with his undead wife. Yeah. And, he, and my hunches, and this is just a hunch is the listing agent went to those other offers and said, by the way, here's all the issues with the house. Do you still want it? And they all probably said no. Yeah. If they all said it, no, then they're better off sticking with me. Yeah, like, oh, he, he's kind of a pain, but he's the only pain we got. So mm -hmm. let's kind of swing in with that. Um, and, I and what you do is whenever you negotiate, 
if you can, you always provide a contingency release subject to agreeing to it. So at that point, I said, hey, look, if you accept this, I'm giving you a full contingency release. Oh, okay. So now they're thinking, okay, I'm seeing a path to close, right? Because the seller yeah. wants two things. They want to sell at a certain price and they want it to close. The seller. Correct. The agent probably wants to, if it's on 45 days on the market, the seller also wants to be like, hey, maybe we should nudge towards this guy because he's ready. Right. Especially with all these issues. Like, yeah. that's a hard sell. Hey, do you want to buy a house that has a sewer issue? Oh, by the way, this whole addition <laughs> that you like, it has to go. <laughs> <laughs> Got to redo it all. Now, yeah. you had no idea about the, the, the addition that was unpermitted before doing the actual uh, inspection, right? Correct. I mean, I had my hunches. You know, you can you do some, yeah, I mean, you could do some due diligence. My thing was, could I take what's there and get it permitted? Okay. That was without, the very Without goal. tearing it down. Correct. That was the ideal situation, just to save me time and money. But uh, you what, can go into permit history and see that, okay, there was no permit for it. Now, what, what did the bank that's lending you the construction loan to fix that? Prefer it not to be torn down more so they don't have to spend more money or I don't know thinking so so basically it's a good question so how it works is you have to go in with a bid and you say this is my budget and this is all the work I'm going to do within that budget then they give it to an appraiser and an appraiser looks at the future value so they don't care what I buy for. They don't care that I bought it for 520. They just want to make sure that it will appraise based off my total loan amount. So because we knew we had to tear it down and they appraised it based off that addition being there, does that kind of make sense? They, they know yeah. that the addition has to be there. So I had to get the price reduction because I'm not going to put 20 grand out of my own pocket to cover that. Um, you also did something pretty uh, special with that house. Um, I did. <laughs> I'm sure there's, there's, you know, with, with everything going on right now, um, as far as short of shortages of, I still said that wrong, of housing. Okay, take uh, your time. <laughs> <laughs> A, B, tell us what you did with, with the house. Yeah, so we did the garage conversion into an accessory dwelling unit. So there, that is our term of the episode. So I return, I'm trying to do this thing where every episode we have a specific term. So um, we'll accessory like dwelling. A to that. Yeah, yeah. Like a rainbow going across. <laughs> like the more you know. Or whatever it was. Um, so anyways, um, so uh, also we have people that are probably listening that can't see us. Uh, so uh, I talk with my hands a lot. Sorry, uh, you're going to miss me doing like signals and stuff like that. I'll try to say it more than um, using my hands. This but, is also uh, going to be pulled into the podcast. So. Yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, And uh, also, this will be on our YouTube channel. So, you know, you can always find it there. Uh, but so this episode, the kind of terminology that we wanted to talk about was uh, the accessory dwelling unit or more commonly known as an ADU. Uh, now, an ADU uh, back in the day, they used to call it like guest house or like granny flat or something like that. I mean, that's basically what an ADU is. Um, so I know that is the kind of interesting strategy that you took when you got your, your most recent place. In fact, the place you're in currently right now is yes. your ADU. 
Um, so yeah, let's let's kind of dig into that a little bit because I know people right now, especially in California, are super hot on this ADU concept. So you know maybe we can kind of tear apart, you know, the some of the some the, there's great benefits, but I know there's probably some things that you know you had to kind of build up to get through to make it actually worth it for hey, you. Hey Josh, we are going to tear it up. Right now, let's ask you. Right. So, so, Rick, tell us about the ADU. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's let's back up real quick. So, the difference between ADU versus like a guest house is legally you can't rent a guest house. Okay. Okay. You can rent an accessory dwelling unit. You can rent an ADU. Plus, it has its own address. You can separate the utilities. And uh, you can make them as big as 1,200 square feet, okay. <laughs> depending on the circumstances. Yeah. So in our case, we split the electric and we purposely made the whole unit electric. So that way we didn't have to worry about splitting the gas. We figured we'd save time and money not having to deal with the gas company. Um, water, we chose not to split at the time because uh, money was tight. We didn't want to spend the extra five, six grand to split the water. And who knows how long that would take because LEDWP, like most utility companies, are going to go on their own time. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's what we did. And then we, my wife and I ended up moving into the ADU and renting out the main house, which covers about 69% of the mortgage, property taxes, insurance. You have those numbers? Um. Yes. So... Uh, we did uh, one type of refinance already because you can refinance as many times as you like. Just like on my condo, I refinanced twice in six months. <laughs> but on the house right now, we're at forty-three twenty-three a month, and we're renting out the main house for just under three grand. So we're paying thirteen twenty-three a month. So call it thirteen hundred bucks. That's great, and and you know it's people were like, well, yeah, but you're still paying for it. But the thing is, is that entire property, the main house and the ADU are yours, you know? Right. So it's, you know, you're having other people pay down your mortgage, which is, that's kind of the whole great concept of this house hacking that you're doing. Is, and there, yeah. I'll say there's also two things to keep in mind. One is because it's still technically our primary residence, we can refinance with the primary residence interest rates. Yeah. Which is great. Right. not the investor rates, which is usually about an extra percentage higher. Mm -hmm. The other thing to keep in mind is the numbers I gave you includes private mortgage insurance. Right. So once we hit the 20% uh, loan to value, right? So in other words, um, whatever we have 20% equity, we can refinance, which we're getting close to now. And then we can take off $580 a month. Minus yeah. this. Which is thing. awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the strategy as of right now is before we can buy another place and move, we want to refinance this place. Yeah. Get rid of the PMI. Correct. Um, what is the, talk about the PMI a little more for people that don't know. Sure. So anytime you put, so okay, a bank is a private company. Let's be clear. They're not a government. They end up selling it to a government agency, but for them, it's all about evaluating risk. So anytime you put less than 20% down, they're going to charge you an extra fee because the risk is that much higher, right? Because if in our case, had we defaulted on the mortgage, there was only three and a half percent in theory of equity, they would lose money. So they want to make up that money in the beginning. So that's why they charge 
um, mortgage insurance premium, if it's FHA, PMI, private mortgage insurance. It's basically the same thing. And it's a certain percentage um, of an extra fee tacked on to your monthly bills. So if it's an FHA loan, it stays with the loan for the entire 30 years. The only way out of it is to refinance. If it's a conventional loan, let's say you did 3% conventional, 10%, 15%, after a minimum of two years, generally, this is generally speaking, talk to your lender, um, but the rule of thumb is after two years, uh, you can get an appraisal done. And if the appraisal shows that there's plenty of equity, they'll knock off the private mortgage insurance. Without having to refinance. Correct, without having to refinance, which might work if interest rates are higher later on down the road. Sure, sure. Thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, um, on my, yeah, on my condo, by way of example, is I did 10% down, remodeled it, which increased the value, and I immediately refinanced. Sure. And got the, that taken off, and then when Brexit happened, I refinanced again, because interest rates dropped. Yeah, interest rates are pretty low right now, aren't they? They are, they're at historic lows. You know, if you talk to your parents, grandparents, they're gonna tell you about the days when interest rates were at 17% and they were excited to buy. <laughs> like, was, wasn't it like in the 70s or 80s where they went up to like 20 something percent? Even more? It was probably close, yeah. In the 70s, it was hyperinflation. That's where like in LA, you see the rent control laws and it's usually based off properties built prior to 1978. And that's why, because <laughs> rents, everything was just skyrocketing uh, during that time. I'm excited to get into that in another episode. Rent control and just Yeah, that's a whole other discussion and a lot of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> cool, cool. I, yeah. this, is, this is good stuff. This is good. Um, Talk about the ADU. Did you have any experience with the ADU before doing it? Uh, a little bit. So I will say through this whole process, my wife and I were the guinea pigs. So we were the first, I have a client that had done an ADU, but it was one of those where he bought it. It was already permitted as a rec room, meaning there was like a half bath there. And then he just added the shower. I was the first out of our, we'll call it sphere, to do it from scratch. Now, my developer's done three of them. I've had another client do a couple of them. I've had, so now I have a lot more experience, but I was at the time- for Rick to, to yeah. the hell of doing it. I, I think that's what it was. I think they were all like, I'm just gonna sit back, watch him cry, and then, <laughs> and then do it. Offer you a supporting hand, but that's about Right, because that's free. <laughs> exactly, yeah. 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 Um, well, that's, I mean, I'm sure you learned a lot. Uh, what was like? What was something about the ABU that you wish you knew before? Well, and even even today, the guidelines have changed. Expect to spend about ten thousand dollars before you even touch the place. So, for example, you have permit fees that cost. It's going to cost, let's say, in the range of twenty five hundred. You have to hire an architect and an engineer. That's a few thousand dollars. Um, now you actually have to do a survey. I didn't have to back then, but that's a few thousand dollars today. Um, but the, you have to keep in mind, the building codes change all the time and you just have to roll with it. You don't really say, well, can I be grandfathered in? It doesn't work that way. So by way of example, when I bought my place, the rule was 
you could run a sewer line to the main house and just share the line. That might cost you three grand. When we bought the house, they said, just kidding. No, you have to run it down the driveway and have its own independent line. So what we did to get creative was I purposely had the sewer company drill down the center of my driveway. And instead of repouring the concrete, which was gonna cost 1200, I knew I was gonna do some fencing anyways. So I said, don't repour, just compact the dirt. We installed the fencing and then I put rocks down the center. So it actually looks like a design aesthetic for the driveway. We've seen it actually it looks pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> thank no, you. Awesome, awesome. Probably saved one, like a couple of, yeah. maybe a grand or something. Uh, we'll call it a grand, right? It saved me about 1200 bucks, but then you had to buy the rocks. So we'll yeah. call it a grand. But still, it's like when budget's tight, you have to get creative. And by doing it down the center, it's not like cars are going to be constantly driving over it. Right, right, right. So I'm not of, causing damage to it. One of our guests has a, has a question. He says, what are the requirements for an AD? Is there a mandated square, minimum square footage maybe for the lot? Or, because uh, I know that there's like, it, it can't be X amount of feet from a utility um, or from the house. So I'll let you. Good question. So as of February 27th, they just changed the guidelines. Here's the rough overview. Um, and it's, it is case by case. So always talk to an architect because every property is different. But let's take a typical flat lot as an example, which is like 90% of houses. The minimum size you can do would probably just be the garage conversion. So that's going to be a garage is 400 square feet by default. If you try to go smaller, it will be tough to try to fit a kitchen and a bathroom plus where you're going to put the bed, all that. Right. So once you start adding drywall and doing all that, it results to between 350 to 370 square feet. The maximum you can build an ADU is there's two parts to it. So I'm going to do my best to explain it. So let me know if anything is unclear. The max you can build is 800 square feet, no matter what. doesn't matter the size of the lot. If you want to go bigger, that counts towards what the total square footage you can build on a lot is. For example, people who want to do additions to your house, you can't just build whatever size house you want. There are certain restrictions. So let's say the max you can build on a lot uh, is 2,000 square feet for a house. That means that, and your house is 1,500 square feet already, that means the max you can build is 500 square feet more. If you want to surpass the 800 square feet on the house, on the ADU, that's fine, but that counts towards that 500. So in that situation, you can't. Co correct. Um, and in terms of other requirements, you know, the garage, if you're doing a garage conversion or even just from scratch, it can't be encroaching on other properties, which is why they now require this survey to be done, which means if you're under contract, you're going to want to do that survey ahead of time. Like while under contract, know that that's going to be an expense. So even if you that generally like? between twenty five hundred to three grand, because so, so if used, you're looking to yeah, so if but, you're looking to do an ADU and you see an opportunity, you have to spend twenty five hundred dollars to three grand while in contract to even see if it's possible. Yes and no. So you're going to need the survey regardless. The city's going to want it. So if you end up closing, fine, you need it. 
if you're a little concerned about spending their money, what you can do is contact the title company and they can send a rep out. It's like 150 bucks and they can eyeball it for you. So at the very least, they can say, well, we're not a survey company, but based off what I'm seeing, you shouldn't have any issues. And then they give you a report. So I did that for one of my clients because he wants to do an ADU, but he doesn't want to do it today. So like, I'm not going to spend three grand to do something I may or may not do eventually. So I said, fine, spend 150 bucks. We, the guy came out and he's like, yeah, you're, you're good. There's no problems here. Okay. So that can give you some peace of mind. It's not a survey. So of course things can change, but it might give you some peace of mind. Yeah. I guess if the guy comes out, if, if probably like the scenario would be, you're looking at this ADU, the ADU is the key that's going to be as an investment property that's going to close it up. You're going to generate some money when you move out of it and then rent it out. So like, that's your ideal situation. If the title company's surveyor comes out and says, uh, I'll think about, you know, that's when you should probably be like, okay, maybe it's not. That's where you decide to pull the trigger on $2,500 right. or not, three grand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. That, that's what I, I personally, that's what I would do. I pay the 150 bucks. And then once I release all contingencies and I know I'm buying the place, then I'll spend the extra money to do the survey and get the ball rolling. Cause it's a process, right? I mean, it's going to take a couple of weeks to get the architectural plans together. Then you got to submit it to the city. Um, depending on how fast the city is, I've heard they're backed up. Definitely be backed up right now because of COVID-19. Right. But when I did it, um, it was going to take about a month. I hired a permit expediter and I recommend everybody do this because they're worth every penny and she got it done in two weeks. Wow. Yeah. So, cause they go to the city, they know who to talk to, they know what paperwork they're going to want. It just, it makes yeah. everyone's life easier. And I don't have to go to the city. I can focus on other things. Uh, something that, so you said the minimum or the maximum size for an ADU is 800 square feet. I recall in the beginning, we mentioned something about 1200 square feet or was that something? Oh, so um, 800 square feet is the max you can build regardless of the size of the house. If you want to go larger, you can go up to 1200. It just counts against your total buildable square footage on, on a lot. Of the entire lot. Correct. Okay. So what we've seen a lot of here in LA, there's a, um, one particular flipper I've been seeing where they're buying up these small houses, leaving the houses alone because they're like 900 square feet on a six or 7,000 square foot lot. And they're blowing up these garages into 1,200 square feet, three bed, two bath ADUs. Wow. They can still rent. It's like within the garage becomes your main house. <laughs> when you that, the exactly. Outside. It's like the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and they're still going to rent both. So I guess mm -hmm. whatever works. It's not a bad idea, right? Because those probably are probably, well, you know, it, it really depends what I'm seeing. So there's a couple things with ADUs, even if you're doing the garage conversion that I really recommend. One is washer dryer hookups. You're already running plumbing there. And what we're seeing is that tenants that are coming through, because originally we were going to rent the ADU and I did 20, 30 showings. Plus I have other clients that have ADUs mm -hmm. and we are competing against apartments. So you have to, so, right. So if someone's saying, well, for the same price, I can go get a one bedroom apartment. I would want, personally, I would want the ADU, right? I want my own separate space, but that's just me. For some of these people, they're very price sensitive. So they're willing to save money to be in an apartment if they can. So you need to make your place more enticing. And that's where the washer dryer comes in. 
that's where yeah. if you can create its own little yard. In our case, we're the traditional lot where the garage is set back. So we just fenced off the rest of right behind the garage and that's our backyard. You know, we created fencing so it has a lot of privacy. We get a ton of natural light. I mean, it's it's a nice place. So we're hoping when we go to rent it out that we'll get top dollar for it. Sure. Yeah. I mean, and like Victor said, we saw it and it, it definitely appeals to, you know, certain people like they'll, they'll love like the, the washer and dryer, like it's pivotal. I mean, like, you know, when, uh, before when I was looking to move into an apartments, that was kind of a deal breaker. There wasn't, it was, it was a dishwasher for, for myself. And then it was a washer and dryer for uh, brothers, you know? So we wanted to make sure that that was there to, you know, make it so we can move because going to laundromat or having like shared washer and dryers, kind of sucks you know because hey i've had clothes stolen from me many times so we were just so fashionable I, exactly I mean. you know like <laughs> my target my target brand t-shirts are uh, you know they're a hot commodity anymore. <laughs> but yeah oh, no man. like definitely you know washer and dryer in unit huge and yeah. you know what you've done with yours uh is amazing as well like because it, it's such a space saver as well so mm -hmm. uh it's very smart what you've done yeah and he's living there and paying less than you know what it would cost for him to do it. Oh yeah. Somebody else is paying off his mortgage. So I, it, I just saw an ADU not far from me rent for sixteen ninety five a month. Nice. Yeah. The so prices gotta love it. Yeah. Right. So it's like um, okay, I'll net after we take off the PMI, we'll net about a thousand dollars a month. Okay. <laughs> uh, what's a junior ADU? A junior ADU is when you section off a portion of an existing house. So it can be, so it's more of like a glorified roommate is the way to describe it because it doesn't have its own address. Uh, it doesn't have separate utilities. It's just more of, it has its own little kitchen. It can have a little kitchenette and its own entrance and exit, but it can even share a bathroom with the house. Oh, wow. So what I've had clients, I have a client right now, we're looking to do a junior ADU. And so we're looking at it from the perspective of just converting the master the master will already have its own bathroom and oftentimes all these houses we're seeing they already have like you know doors that go off the backyard whatever so it's just a matter yeah. of popping in a little kitchen and you're you're kind of dumb what do you need in the kitchen does it have to be like do you need like an exhaust vent do you need anything crazy it's a or sink and like what and like I, not a lot right no for the junior adus it can be from my understanding just a kitchenette right so kitchenette wouldn't necessarily mean a full-on stove or anything like that. Like a hot plate and like yeah. a microwave and, you know, yeah. basically college dorm status. Correct. You might, and again, it just comes down to what your plans are going forward because with the junior ADUs, some part of the house, whether it's the main house or the junior ADU, has to be owner-occupied. Yeah. Mm. Which is really important. So whatever you do, if you decide to move, you're going to have to tear that out. So whatever work you put into it, you're gonna have to keep in mind to tear, you're gonna have to do the opposite. Now the junior ADU is if it's still part of the house, because you mentioned the ADU itself has its own address. So junior Correct. ADU wouldn't have its own address. Correct. Address, right? okay. Correct. Yeah, it would not have its own address. Okay. It's just another difference between the two, I guess. Yeah. So I mean you can for a traditional ADU, you can section off a house. And it's effectively turn it into a duplex. You can, mm -hmm. um, but you know, for, especially in LA, if you want to talk about, say, well, good different parts of it, like the, the lots, or excuse me, the houses aren't that big. If you have a thirteen hundred square foot house, it might be hard to kind of cut it in half, 
And how would you logically do that? Because those houses weren't designed to be split. Yeah, right. Yeah, so that's where it gets kind of tricky. And then it just gets too expensive. You know, at some point, the construction is just going to be crazy. So, yeah. you know, you got to just reevaluate. Correct, yeah, you everything's want, case by case. Yeah, you probably want like an attached garage or a detached garage to convert it. I mean, that's like, that's going to be your, probably your best ROI on it anyway. Probably, but let's say you're on a tight budget. Now I, sure. now I will admit, and I don't know how much the permits cost for the junior ADUs. That is something we have to explore. But, um, but if you think about it, if you don't have a lot of money, maybe you start off with a junior ADU, get that extra income, save up, then do the garage conversion, because you're gonna be spending about a hundred grand now to do those garage conversions, to do it right. Yeah, at one point I was gonna buy a property. Um, it was just a rundown property in one and it had a, cash garage mm -hmm. uh, it, like you could convert it to sub like 800 square feet 700 square feet nice. i talked to my uncle and he's like it's gonna cost you at least hundred twenty thousand yeah like no that can't be i know right. it's oh. hard to believe yeah yeah that's what it was he's like yeah your blueprints alone are gonna cost you like 10 grand <laughs> that is so wow. ridiculous but it makes sense you know and then something's gonna go wrong so you know pack on another 10 percent contingency on top of that sure uh, you're at you know and then you can only get your money back once you rent it, which is probably going to take you like a year to complete, you know, based on uh, how long the city takes and whatnot. Yeah. Tr traditionally for ADUs, you can get them done in about four months, three to four months. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. In our case, because we're also reballing the house, doing the addition, it was all roped into one for like the same inspector. So that was, and that we can go into those delays yeah, later. Here. Yeah. But um, yeah, traditionally, it takes about yeah three to four months to do the conversion, which means those are carrying costs. So ideally, you get the ball rolling while under contract, the wall in escrow. Uh, I we're kind of nearing towards the end. Okay. Um, but we got so another I, question. Shoot, Sorry. go for it. Uh, another guess. It says uh, COVID may go on longer than expected. Any thoughts on strategies? in anticipation of tenant challenges with paying full rent. Mm -hmm. So like your, for yourself, if you have a tenant, you know, I mean, you do actually have two tenants. Yeah, two tenants, so, yeah. It's a hot topic right now. It is such a hot topic. So here's the deal with, and it's funny, cause I actually just talked to um, another guy who owns like five rentals because our rents, our leases are coming up. So we're trying to strategize. So the first thing you can do is just have a friendly conversation. Don't even mention, hey, you know, are you going to be able to pay rent? You can just call and just get tabs. Just say, hey, I'm just calling to check in, see how you're doing, see how your family's doing, you know, what's going on. Because then they might already kind of disclose. Yeah, I know we paid rent this month, but my roommate works in the in uh, restaurant industry and he just lost his job. So you can already kind of anticipate it happening. From there, once they come and say, hey, we can't pay rent. The reality is you have to work with them. Like the city made it clear, you're not gonna be able to evict them. So don't try. Plus, I think maybe this is more of a personal note, but right now we all need to be human. We all need to be able to work together right now. I know it's not ideal, but and I understand this is a business, but we need to be able to have that, those conversations. So I would try to work with the tenants, even if you can foresee it, maybe you give them a discount so for now, and then knowing they're gonna have to pay it back later. Like that's the one 
big misconception because I'm on a couple different, I'm on one big tenant form. And a lot of these tenants think, oh, rent forgiveness, I'm super excited. And it's like, yeah, not no, so much. No, that's not what's happening. Deferred, but not forgiven. Correct. And even more so, it's not even so much deferred, it's kind of like this new term everyone's hearing is forbearance, which means <laughs> yeah, balloon, yeah. effectively what it means is balloon payment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's really that's what enough. it means. Yeah, you don't have to pay, but you're still going to be accruing interest for it. You know, yeah. I had to do that. I did that with my student loan, so I tell uh, forbearance is the thing I know all about. So right, no, it won't accrue interest, but no, the the balloon payment that's going to hit the balloon payment. So if you say, "Hey, I'm dropping the rent by five hundred dollars a month for the next two months," but on on the third month, you owe me a thousand bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Now you will have some sensitive financial situation because you ran their credit and all that. So you might want to work with them. Maybe it's, let's say it's a new lease. Maybe it's like, Hey, let's drop the rent by 500 bucks for the next two months. And then we'll raise it just 200 bucks for the next five. Right. Great strategy. You know what I mean? Like, again, we do want to be human. Exactly. Because the reality is vacancy is going to cost you way more. Exactly. Right. And that's, that's the thing. Right. You know, <laughs> you're either going to get 90, you know, you're going to get half of your rent or zero of your rent, you know? Yes. Vacancy will always be your biggest expense. Take yeah. it from someone that had a house for a year that he couldn't rent out or live in. And I'm <laughs> writing a check for the mortgage before the refinance, the first refinance, it was painful. Sure. So you're better off trying to work with them. If you feel like that, if, if you're friends with them for whatever reason, or you, you can already foresee it being an issue, maybe get ahead of it. Because the last thing you'd want is for them to come back and say, um, I can't work with you. I just flat out can't pay. And there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, great answer. Yeah, I think it goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, because that's what I do. Uh, make sure you get some sort of contract written up for something like that. You know, yeah. if you're going to let them pay, you know, if their rent's a thousand and you're only going to have them pay 200 for the next five months, maybe have something written up where they won't come back to you in two months and be like, we never said that you're going my, you know? Well, of course, yeah, of course, whatever you do, do it in writing. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is so important, especially in um, cities like Los Angeles, New York, San Francisco, where the courts are generally tenant friendly. Yeah. So um, which we can go into whether it's good or bad, but again, that goes to your whiskey and then, um, so yeah, just make sure whatever you do, you have it in writing. Um, I want to, we just got some questions, but I'm going to ask it towards the end, because uh, I want to hear this from you. Um, and this is kind of the question that we're going to be answer, uh, asking all of our guests. What, uh, between the two deals that you have so far, or even with the deals that you've worked on with, uh, what is something that you went into, well, specifically, into the purchases thinking that you knew but it turned out to be different that was like a huge learning opportunity so good question for the condo condos are pretty straightforward when it comes to remodeling so that was actually pretty easy um any we did go slightly over budget but then i also got money from the tenant so that was fine that that was all deliberate for the house i had never done an fha 203k loan before and when I spoke with my loan officer, um, we were told the checks take about 10 days to process. That's actually not the case. It takes closer to two weeks. Yeah, which uh, is a pretty big difference if you, you know, when yeah. you're trying to pay your contractor and you can't. 
And that's where it became an issue. So um, actually, as a matter of fact, our first check took six weeks and our oh third check gosh. took three. Oh, I was livid. Sure. Um, they would, it was, it was difficult. Um, but, and that's not normal. So I don't want anyone to get scared. Like, oh my God, it's going to take six weeks. Like that's not normal. That was just bad on their part. Um, but you had to, so we really got to know the process is really where I learned the most. So as soon as work's done, you have to bring out the HUD consultant, which you have to pay him. It's about $350 a visit and you prepay for five visits. Right. They come out, they see what work's been done. Then they have a report. You sign the report, you give it to the lender, and then they start processing the check. Wow. And so in hindsight, well, there's a couple of things I would have done in hindsight. So in hindsight, I probably wouldn't have done as big a project. I probably would have just, I would have just torn down the addition and I would have probably spent money. Cause again, if I was going to live there, I'd want to spend a little bit more money. That's the nice part about house hacking is you can spend a little bit more because real estate's on your side in terms of time. Right. So I would have spent the money and done like the accordion doors to make it <laughs> totally open. And then I would have built out a deck. So the addition would have been the deck to create that outdoor experience. And that would have saved me time, money, um, and I still would have done the ADU. The other thing I would have done is I actually would have paid extra to have the HUD consultant come out more often. Oh, really? Yeah. So what I would have done is I would have put him on a regular schedule. I would have said, you're going to come out every two weeks. So therefore, every two weeks, my contractor is always getting paid. Even if it was just a little bit each time, I don't care if it's a $10,000 check or a $50,000 check, he's constantly getting paid. Because with contractors, we have to remind ourselves, they're always behind, right? Because they pay their guys, they pay the materials to get all this work done, then they get paid for the work they've completed. Yeah, yeah so when it comes to contractors, um, there are some very good ones out there, I'm happy to refer, um, but there are also some very bad ones. And usually the bad ones are the ones that can't manage the money well. Right. And that's why. Because they keep fucking, all, you know, forking. I said forking all this money, <laughs> forking all this money <laughs> up front. Uh, and then they don't have any more money to pay the guys. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why they're that's... taking their pay from one job to pay for the That's exactly what happens. It's that whole Robin Peter PayPal. Yeah, exactly. Robin Peter PayPal. We would see that on the development side all the time. The contract, oh, do you have any more work? Do you have any more work? Because they need yeah. another house to pay for the last house that we're trying to pay them on. Digging <laughs> themselves deeper. Uh -huh. scary. Let me ask you a question. Was the um, the 203K Streamline uh, loan available when you were looking to get it? Or is that something that's more recent? So the epic, um, you're talking, that's a streamlined refinance. Oh, it's just refinance. Okay. That's strictly refinance. And that's what we did, which knocked okay. off 300 bucks a month off our mortgage. Originally, we were paying about 46. Can you, wow. Can you, can you talk about what that is? Absolutely. So with the, ep so with the traditional refinance, you're, the best way to explain it is you're replacing one loan with another. Kind of like you're rebuying the house without having to put a down payment down. What that means is they have to run your credit, they have to do an appraisal, they have to look at your income, they have to all these things. With the FHA streamline refinance, because you're taking one FHA loan with another FHA loan, they don't care about an appraisal, which was great for us because there wasn't any comps with ADUs. So I knew it wasn't going to appraise. Um, and they don't care about your income, which was fine. We were fine there. They're like, we ran our credit. They're like, okay, fine. And it was done in 30 to 45 days. Now, keep in mind, 
FHA has fees that they tack on. So our loan amount went up higher. But when it comes to residential real estate, or really just even investing, if you're thinking about rentals, don't look at the price, look at the payments. Because you're getting rent on a monthly basis, therefore you should be looking at your expenses on a monthly basis. So yes, our loan amount went higher, but my bills dropped by 300 bucks a month. And it's still the same 30 years. You got higher cash flow. Correct. So it's like, okay. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the cash flow is going to, it's, it's what you're smart. It's important. Right. Putting the money aside, having that build up. Correct. Um, now is that, is the FHA, I just answered my own question. I'm going to ask you anyway. Now is the FHA streamlined only on an FHA loan? Do you know yes. that banks or, or lenders um, have something similar? Like I'm in that situation right now. I want to refinance, even though I just bought the property six months ago. But I know the rates dropped. Right. And I'm like, I don't want to go through the whole, let's run your credit. Let's check your loan docs, your bank statements, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so double check with a lender. My understanding is no, there's just FHA with FHA. Sorry, buddy. But if it makes you feel any better, um, with some with refinances or like lines of credit, sometimes they won't necessarily do a full appraisal or someone will walk through. They'll just do like an automated one. So they'll just like look correct, which they did on my condo um, when I was doing the line of credit because I used that to buy this house. So effectively, I got the house for zero down. And my tenants are paying the line of credit, um, but when they that's what when they it's all about that's, that's what, what it's all about, about right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when they did the um, automated version, it appraised for less because they did it based on when I bought it as a fixer. And so I said, "No, I need you to come see it because I made all these improvements to it." So that's the only thing you have to keep in mind. Well, if the person's going to come into this house, I'm going to blindfold them. I'm gonna <laughs> well, well, look, if, if, if you, you do the underwriting, the holes, <laughs> <laughs> showing the holes in the ground. But you to know, your point, the skylight that you put in on an inverted because you fell through. <laughs> uh, but um, to that point, if you do the automated version and you're happy with the results, then just stick yeah. with it. Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna we're a little bit over time, so uh, we are gonna take questions. If you guys want to start sending them in, um, I know we said we we're locked locked this for an hour, uh, but we aren't. We did it over that, but that's okay. Um, I don't know if we said that actually. I don't know if we actually said that. Already. Oh well, we're then never mind. These are, these are gonna be super long podcasts. <laughs> I'm um, here for you guys. Yeah. So <laughs> we at least didn't do it on this episode. We might have done it on our episode zero, but I did want to. Do you? Why don't you go ahead and? Uh, we are nearing the end. So let's start taking on the two questions that people asked. Do you see it? Do you see the chat? Yeah, there is a chat. I saw a bunch of questions pop up, but I haven't had a chance to read them. Do you guys want to? Yeah, no, to that's me? okay. I, yeah, oh, I, want, okay. I was going to give it the opportunity for Josh to see it. But it says, yeah, I saw oh. something about COVID nineteen. Yeah, well, I think you answered that. Um, but the one that I was going to ask you was okay. So do you plan on increasing your, uh, your reserves this year due to the COVID virus? It's the, I guess, you know, ever, ideally what you want to do is put a percentage of your rent aside, right? So, or your, your capex expenses, maintenance, and so on. Do you want to, are you increasing your reserves due to this? Do you think it's probably going to be? Uh, it's interesting. It's going to be case by case. Personally, what we plan on doing is buying another place because we do want to live in a house. Um, and then from there, kind of reevaluate our 
properties that we have. So for example, I have a line of credit on the condo. We want to pay that down. So we generate cash flow, like better cash flow. Cause the intention is for us is any money we make off the rentals, we're not going to spend. That is our retirement. That's our savings is how we're looking at it because we still have jobs. Yeah. So we can still yeah. generate income otherwise. Now, if it's your primary business, you know, it doesn't hurt, you know, let, you know, knock on wood, whatever you have near you, that once this thing passes, we're not going to get another wave of it. Yeah. Um, Hopefully you're, you are putting aside enough earnings. Correct. Um, uh, the next question, do you think, well, I, I'm sure everyone's, everyone's curious about this one. What do you uh, think is going to happen to the real estate market? That is such a good question. So, <laughs> Um, unfortunately we can't predict the future. If we could, I'd be in the lottery ticket business. Uh, totally. Make it a business even. Wow. Oh, of course. <laughs> you kidding me? Um, there's books on that stuff. So <laughs> expert oh, strategies. That's right. Um, so all we can do is look at the facts. Here are the facts prior to COVID-19 prior to the lockdown in February in LA County, the month supply was at 2.1. That means if no new listings came to the market, it would only take two months to sell everything. That is quite a seller's market. An average market would be six months. If the days on market, if the um, uh, days of inventory was you know eight months, it'd be a buyer's market. So using that logic, that means we'd have to have triple the inventory to come out just to be an average, average. market. Yeah. Well, uh, so that, so that's something to keep in mind. Oh, I just saw real quick, real quick. My house is in Granada Hills. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Best city in the Valley. That's where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I didn't even know these guys and we're all within like a two minute drive. I can rock the box for Rick's house right now. Yeah. <laughs> Josh can walk to my house or Rick's house. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but yeah, so we look at that. So we have to see triple, the inventory would have to go considerably higher. The other thing to keep in mind, what happened in 2008 was a lot of bad loans. Now banks are working with people, right? They are doing the forbearance, which again is a balloon payment, which kind of defeats the purpose, but still they're, they're trying to work with people. I, I, I have a feeling something's going to happen with that. They, they, they probably have to tackle that onto the loan or something. Correct. How I are, think there's going are, to be loan modifications. I agree. Yeah. I mean, how can you expect someone to say, Hey, I can't pay my four grand a month for three months. And now I go to owe 12. Like my company's not giving me back pay. What makes you think I have the money to pay you? Right. Well, it, okay. Which leads to the second part of that question was, what do you think? Foreclosures? Do you think like if it doesn't happen, because mm -hmm. in the end banks are there to make money. Yeah, you know, and, and this is like the problem we do with an industry where we've never had a bank actually care yes. um, about the <laughs> laws that they're putting out. Right. So, will that just create an opportunity? I mean, you might not have, because, you know, in 2008, everyone went into foreclosure. Right. And even then, they were releasing the foreclosure numbers for the fear of having the market tank even more than it had. Um, in this case, uh, do you think it's going to be like everyone's hitting... You know, in three months, everyone's going to be hitting foreclosure status at the same time, or? I think what we're going to see, and this is strictly a prediction. Sure. Um, yeah, all of this, everybody, you know, all yeah. of, of course. This disclaimer, yeah. disclaimer. Because you're Don't twisting my arm, here's my prediction. Don't sue us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I, I think there are going to be a lot of homes that are going to come to market because we saw so many come off the market. We went into quarantine because in the city of LA, real estate, um, real estate agents um, on a statewide level is considered an essential business. However, the city of LA said no showings. So we can't do in-person showings. We can do virtual tours. Once you're under contract, then you can go see the house. But if you're a seller, you might be like, well, I'm not going to accept a blind offer. That's a waste of my time. So I think what's going to happen is there's going to be a short window of people are like, okay, I've been wanting to sell. Now's the time I'm putting it on the market. Um, I don't, if I don't necessarily see a lot of foreclosures happening, because even then they can't start the foreclosure process. So if you, let's say, push this out for three months, then you still have a couple months before the foreclosure process can really kick in. So that's six months down the road. And by then all the first wave of homes have already sold. So I think that if you are a buyer, if you're thinking about buying, there will be a small window of low competition because you're going to have some of those buyers who are either hesitant or they're not prepared, right? They're not getting their pre-approvals now. They're not looking over their finances now. They're waiting until everything blows over, I'm which is you, like, you, it's free to do. I'm glad you mentioned that. That's actually a really cool strategy. You know, if, if anybody's looking to buy a property soon or even in the next six months, make sure you get your pre-approval. Pre yeah. Pre-approval. It's number pre one. You should always get that. From a direct lender. Yeah. From an direct actual lender. bank. Yeah. Not from Jimmy down the street. Correct. Really, really quickly, and then we'll, we'll finish it off. Um, what what you know, what does that mean? Well, how do you do that? How do you do that, Rick? How do you get pre-approved? Great question. <laughs> in a hundred <laughs> words or less. Of them. In a so, hundred words or less, Rick. In a hundred words. Well, first, let's describe what the difference is between what's called a mortgage broker and a direct lender. The difference is, and not to knock mortgage brokers, there's some very good ones out there, um, but a direct lender, they're giving the loan out of their own pocket. A mortgage broker has to go find someone to give you the money. Yeah, they're the middleman. Correct. They're the middleman. And a lot of them tack on their own fees. Right. So that's the big difference. So your best bet is to, there's different um, direct lenders. There's di generally they're banks, right? The Wells Fargo's of the world's credit unions can have really good rates. Um, you know, Chase, B of A, Bank of the West, Wintrust, I mean, Quicken is a, a super large one, right? So they're going to ask for what they like to do, because some loan officers, there's some, again, some very good ones out there, and there's some very bad ones. The bad ones are lazy. They're only going to run your credit and say, okay, based off what you told me, here's what you're qualified for. That's where you go back and say, no, I want a pre-approval. Here's my tax documentation run my credit, review everything. And that way, once you enter escrow on the property, all you need is an appraisal and a couple documents. It's actually much easier. It also, um, I, when I was, so, okay, but how do you, how do you do that? How do you get that for your Sorry. You talk to your loan officer, you talk to the bank and they're gonna give you a list of paperwork that they need. And okay. um, because I have, again, I have clients and whatnot in cybersecurity, they're gonna, want me to say this, make sure that it's a secure line when they give you your private information. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because sure. most of them, if not all of them, do on, via online portals now. Correct. Consuming all your documents. And, yeah. you know, like, 
you're submitting a lot of private stuff that mm -hmm, you know yeah. fell into the wrong hands they're buying a house instead of you you know correct. at that point so yeah you're going to submit w2s you're going to submit tech stuff you're going to submit social security numbers everything right. so make sure the url that you get from your private lender hopefully or your yeah. direct lender is the actual url of the company that you're working for <laughs> We, yeah, um, I, I know someone or use a secure Dropbox. Yeah, well, yeah, that's actually, yeah. Yeah, that, that, just, that totally works. I know someone, yeah. she was trying to refinance a family member of mine and it was a Yahoo email. And we all said, oh, no, no, yeah. <laughs> just, just not happening. Sorry. Yeah, but like get, get all those papers. Uh, and I'm sure if you Google it, I'll, I'll probably put something in the, in the, in those, is yeah. what the lender is going to ask you. Uh, and then you get all that paperwork ready to go and then like you know one of our guests it's said, pretty easy drop in your dropbox you just share the link just make yeah. sure you know you're sharing it out to me. correct and fyi they're going to ask for this stuff again and they're going to ask for it again and you can either say i already gave it to you or you just give it to them or <laughs> have it ready to go again just have a folder yeah. somewhere that's all i did i did it once to shoot it out again yeah yeah i had yeah. to give my driver's license three times once to a loan to a loan officer i'm like point them to the link yeah, I'm like, here, here it is. Just, I'm not gonna, it's not worth the time. Like Reforward that playing. same email and make sure they know that it's a reforward. There you go, highlight the date. Yeah, 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 exactly. It's like when you're you're applying to the job and you answer all the questions and, or they, they say upload your resume and then they still ask you the same questions. Yeah. On the yeah. resume, it's like, cool, thanks. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's, let's wrap this up. Um, any other questions from our guests? I will be on pause for the next 30 seconds. While we wait Probably. for them, yeah. I have questions for Rick, and they're off book. I'm going to put you off on the spot. Of course, yeah. you, of course you are. So, <laughs> Rick, Rick Albert, if you were not an investor and a real estate agent, if you weren't involved in real estate at all, what would you be doing with your life? What would your job be? You can go dream job if you want. Hmm. Awesome. What would it be? And it couldn't be related to real estate. Probably, crap, probably an attorney. Really? So, what kind of law would you think you'd uh, <laughs> practice? And you can't say real estate. Uh, it's a podcast, so there's no point in flipping you, you off. Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, it, it'd probably be some sort of uh, business litigation. Cool. Probably. I wouldn't do criminal law. Like, no, I'm good. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, immigration law, I think it's, that's a tough one. Like just like emotionally, so I yeah, well, I know people who work in that Family. field, and total props to them. Yeah, um, so I'd probably do some sort of business, uh, business litigation. Cool. Uh, that'd be kind of cool. Uh, next question for you. Oh, he has more. All right. Uh, well, <laughs> did you? What? How many push-ups are you at now? How many what? what? How many push-ups are you at now? I'm at 190 for the day. I'm going to do 10 more. Wow. You're going to hit the 200, huh? Yeah. Nice. So for those who don't know, uh, my brother-in-law, because, you know, when you're in quarantine, working out's a little tough. So we decided to do a competition. And today we're doing a competition who can do the most push-ups. So I've been doing right. an average of about 20 an hour. How are you um, feeling? Um, actually pretty good because you break it up. Now it gets harder. So you have to break it maybe every 10 or so. Um, but yeah, I'll do 10 more beforehand. And I don't know what his score is. We're waiting until the very end. So that way we can't try to compete. Okay. Okay. Um, Rick, now you have it on the record. You should have been like, I do like a solid 400 a day. And then we could have been like, <laughs> see, he was, 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Evidence. Evidence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's probably listening to the podcast, so he's probably already going to get your <laughs> 90. So he's like, I'm going to get, he's going to 200. I'm going to do 201. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. We hope, we hope, we, we hope he's listening and we hope other people. Are For sure. Awesome comments. Everybody loved it. Super excited to do this. Um, Rick, as a sign-off, how can people find you if they want to contact you? And we'll, we'll put all the details again. Yeah, absolutely. So if you have any questions, I'm, I'm here to help. So the best way, you can find me through social media. So Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, even YouTube. We'll put, I do. We'll put all of those. Here, yeah. yeah. So that's at, at Rick B. Albert. Uh, I do post weekly tips. I think that's really important that we educate our people. Or you can just call me. Uh, 323-929-7653. I'm throwing my number out there. Wow. You know, to, I, I'm, I'm here to help, right? So like the strategies that I talk about, because I had people reach out saying, why are you going to tell your strategies? Then they won't come and use you. And the reality is every situation is different. Yep. And you want to work with someone that can evaluate every situation. So that's what I'm here for. Thank you. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Josh? Um, favorite quote. Oh, okay. He has another question. I had no idea. That's, a, that's, a, that's kind of a rough one to put on someone. Josh, what's your quote? Uh, I don't have one. So. Um, okay, my quote is, I don't have one. That's from Josh Duvall. <laughs> 2020. That uh, was April fantastic. 2020. Or ditto. Ditto. Dot, dot, dot. Dot, dot, Okay, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't have anything else. Um, I mean, okay, let's, uh, here's, here's one quote, and I, I made this up myself, but if you wake up, it's automatically a good day. That's a good quote. That's, that's oh, definitely God. something to, you know, take to heart. So right? thank you yeah. very much. There you go. I was uh, watching a, a cool show. Uh, this is probably a, I got paid for this. Um, it's a show. Extra, uh, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. So random that you brought this up. It's on NBC. You guys can watch it on Hulu. It's freaking great. Um, and he goes, he's a caregiver and he, he appreciates being a caregiver because he's asked like, how do you do this? How could you be involved in people's lives that, you know, they're, they're about to pass. And he says, it makes me appreciate life so much more. I love the fact that I can, you know, create even the most simplest things. So yeah, you know, we take that for granted. You know, yeah. I did it today. I got angry at work, come home and it's like, we're all human, you know, but right. you know, you take a deep breath and you just appreciate you have a roof over your head. Thankfully, hopefully, and, um, yeah, one of the things I started created gratitude list. I mean, that's something that I started doing recently. Oh. Uh, is, oh. And I actually posted sometimes on social media, like on some of my videos, like at the very end or in the comments, I'm like, here's three things I'm grateful for. And it can be something totally random. It doesn't have to be friends and family. It could be like, dude, I'm grateful for like a desk. <laughs> I'm grateful <laughs> that my cereal was nice and cold to this, you know? Right? I, I know uh, this morning, you know? I'm grateful that we're doing this podcast from just the waist up like, it's, <laughs> right? like there's there's all these things you can be grateful for and you can and you know if, especially with everything going on with COVID-19 like every time we have to leave now we have to put on gloves and a mask that's depressing but we have to remind ourselves this will pass yeah and you know it's funny a lot of people are taking it as an opportunity and kind of turning into a positive you know like a lot of people 100%. are learning new skills or reading more books or, you know, like I uh, personally, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to attend uh, it with the new group that I joined. I'm trying to attend a webinar every day just to learn something new, yeah. you know, and it's, it's cause we have all this extra time and, you know, 
yes, the, the gyms are closed, but there are ways of working out at home, you know, like there are do 190 pushups. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, you, you mean 300 and oh sorry yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he lost count he sorry. lost count after four on I'm, I'm sorry the 190 was just when i woke up yeah, yeah, yeah. Warm, that's, that's your warm-up. <laughs> that was we my call those breakfast push-ups <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it uh i i, I think it was i'm gonna probably kill this my favorite quote josh i don't have one but this is a big book i think it was bruce lee he says you only start maybe muhammad Ali. I'll, I'll check that out. But it was, see, this is the whole beauty of raw, right? I don't know. But I'm just going to say it, and hopefully some of you will correct me on it when he says, you only start counting when it starts hurting. That's Muhammad Ali. That's Muhammad Ali, yeah. yeah. Like, how many, how many, they go, the, the question was, how many sit-ups do you do every day? And he goes, yeah. I don't know. And, you know, I only start counting when it starts hurting. You know, yeah. It's brilliant. <laughs> All right, everyone. Uh, thank you again for, for coming. We'll, of course, have our next episode. Uh, well, this was weird because this was our meetup, but I, I don't know. I think we're just going to do this. We'll have the meetup as well. If, if anybody, uh, for, for those who are local to our area, our meetup is in Sherman Oaks. Um, it's the meetup that I sent everybody. I think we'll link to. But if you are part of our meetup, of course, that will be as a Zoom chat moving forward, but we will also be doing these as, as a podcast. So it's kind of like a little bit. There you go. Learning's free. Learning is free, and it's the best thing you, you should do. You know, I'm constantly learning, and And if you guys so, ever need to reach out to, to Victor or myself, um, we are on all the social medias as well. Um, Startup REI, uh, Instagram, I kind of man that. I try to post often. Haven't been posting as much frequently, um, just because I'm busy, but uh, Startup underscore REI on Instagram. Uh, and then Facebook, it's just startup REI, I think is one word, or maybe as two We're getting words. it all figured out. But yeah, all of that stuff will be posted somewhere where you guys will be able to find it and reach out to us. Um, always available answer questions if you guys want. You, Rick's got his phone number out there now. I don't because I don't want to do that. <laughs> Joke's on you. It's my Google voice number. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Rick was smart and gave out a number that he can manage um, yeah. on his own. Uh, not his personal number. Okay, cool. Um, that's uh, it for parting, me. Yeah. Hmm? Any parting thoughts, Rick? I'm going to let you sign off. That's something that's new, right? No, no there you guest go. ever signs off. The guest sign off for the podcast. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I think uh, we're good. Look, I, I had a blast. I'm super excited. Um, as I mentioned before, if anyone needs help here in LA, I'm here for you. But regarding the podcast, listen to it again and again and again. If you guys have questions, I think Josh and Victor, you guys are on to something. I think this podcast is, is going to be awesome. I've heard other podcasts that. before and they all have their pros and cons and a lot of them have more cons. And, and I think what you guys are doing and working on, uh, it, it's going to go places. I think it's, it's really going to help. So I'm, 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 I appreciate the opportunity to be part of the process. We appreciate can we, can you. Can we coach you on that and put that on our website and all of our social medias? Just, you know. uh, yeah. I'll send you my Venmo account. I have to pay you for what you just said. So. <laughs> we'll pay you in toilet paper, right? Isn't that, isn't that the currency? <laughs> Fair enough, dude. Fair enough. I'll take a couple rolls. Yeah. <laughs> if I had them to give you, I would. <laughs> Josh, you're um, handling the, uh, the recording. So. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I'm, with, I'm waiting it. out. Take care, everyone. Yeah, take care. Thank you, everybody. We love you. Bye. Bye.